Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. This next hour, we study the inspired and true Word of God and see the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And His light shines on us as we begin 1 Kings chapter 7. We've seen that the temple has been built in seven years, and now he built something else, the palace, uh, the hall of the throne, uh, a home for his wife, a uh, hall of pillars, all of these things. And you're kind of wondering, how does this all fit together? Today, we look at the uniqueness of this building, how it connects to the temple, and obviously how it connects us to Jesus. How does this relate today even? Uh, we will find out. Stick around as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Thy Strong Word is generously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Help us be, helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we have with us Pastor Gregory Alms of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Catonsville, Maryland. Pastor Alms, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, thank you. Great to be here. Uh, thanks for the invitation. It's always fun to uh, dig into the word and, uh, and to talk about it. It's always uh, enjoyable and hopefully uh, edifying as well. Absolutely. Well, happy Easter to you, Pastor. Thank you, thank you. Also to you, everybody listening, absolutely, still Easter, Christ still risen, amen. <laughs> risen indeed, hallelujah. It is, it is a joy to have you with us today. Tell us this to begin. Where is, did I say this right, Catonsville, Maryland? Where is this? Yes, yes, you got that right, Catonsville. Yes. Uh, Catonsville <laughs> is, uh, um, is on the west side of the city of Baltimore, Maryland, just... Uh, <clears throat> uh, um, I don't know what uh, the technical term is, but an enclosed suburb right on the on the on the border of uh, on the uh, on the line between uh, Baltimore City and Baltimore County. Um, mm. It's uh, and uh, so essentially a suburb. Um, it's interesting. We Baltimore City and County. And now we're, we're going to digress, but I won't digress long. But uh, you know, <laughs> normally uh, cities and you know are part of counties, right? I mean, Chicago is part of. Cook County, Houston, Texas, part of Harris County, and just kind of remembering. But uh, Baltimore, I don't know how unique, but um, Baltimore City is its own thing, and Baltimore County is outside. So um, that's always a big distinction in our area, city or county. So Baltimore County. Baltimore County. Very good. Um, right. So this is our first time together, Pastor Alms, and on Thy Strong Word, and we have new listeners all the time. So you can take a moment to introduce yourself and the work of the saints and St. Paul Lutheran Church. Sure, sure. I'd be, uh, I'd be pleased to. So um, I am a pastor, obviously, um, and uh, I took a call to here at uh, St. Paul uh, in Kingsville in August, uh, we were uh, moved in August of last year and received a call in the midst of just as COVID was happening in February of last year. And so it was a very interesting call process. But um, uh, God uh, took care of us and the church, both churches. I was at Redeemer in Catawba prior for 24 years. Uh, four daughters grown. The youngest just graduated from college off on her own. So uh, my wife, Suzanne, is a Lutheran school teacher here in the Baltimore area at St. Paul's in Glen Burnie, which is another suburb. And um, 
so we're blessed to be here. Wonderful people. We have a school uh, that goes up to fifth grade as well as a early childhood center at St. Paul. Wonderful, wonderful people working there uh, to make that a place of of growth and sharing Jesus. And uh, they all do a, a wonderful job. I'm I'm blessed to be there among them. And we're doing our best in COVID and uh, um, doing well. It's a, it's a great place. Wonderful. One of the unique things, as we had a conversation before our program today, is that you took a call during COVID. Can you just give us about a minute about, tell us about the challenges and joys of doing, um, well, in many ways, such a crazy thing. (laughs) Yes, well, you know, this just proves the divinity of the call and the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work. I mean, um, so we received that call in February before COVID, just as COVID was just beginning um, to make its appearance in the United States. And we went to visit up here, you know, late February, and it was really starting to um, to accelerate. So, you know, um, and at that point, when, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, we decided both congregations and myself to just, um, the churches were closing down, you know, to put the call process on hold and we, you know, I needed to take care of congregation and Redeemer, you know, uh, to, to, you know, get through COVID. And so, you know, as things developed through the summer and so forth, we just felt like it was time to, to get this call process up again. And the Holy Spirit led us to come here and um, Redeemer is in good hands. And um, so it was, you know, you know, normally you get a call, you know, three, four weeks, maybe five, six at the outset, you decide. And, you know, this was February to, you know, end of June before before I accepted. So wow. everyone was patient, and we all uh, we all got through it, and um, God was, was working uh, through all of that. So we're, we're thankful. Well, you know, I really, really appreciate how you highlight that, because in that sense, every call is crazy, because, you know, our calls come when we don't, when we least expect it. And sometimes you look at it from the outside and go, why would you do that? But you said it so well, it's a divine call. It's where God calls us to places, the Lord works through his church, and we follow where he leads us. And uh, so God's blessings to you on that, and and thanks be to God for the way he leads us. So, Pastor, as we are about to dig into Scripture, can you begin us in prayer? Sure. Uh, Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you in this Easter season, as always, for the death and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus, who brings uh, eternal life to light and and blesses us with the joy of eternal life. We pray uh, that as we study your Word, that the Uh, the great light of your gospel and the presence of your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he gives uh, would be uh, present, that you would use your same Holy Spirit that inspired these words, would guide our hearts and minds, uh, that we might grow in our faith in you and our trust in your goodness. Uh, We pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Alms, we are, uh, we're, we are going through First Kings, which at times is very easy to, to look at and to see Christ and to fully understand what's happening. And then there's other times where there's some details that's like, I just don't get it. For example, yesterday in First Kings, we talked about the furnishings in the temple. 
And after after the program, I had one of my elders in the congregation who has built his own home, and he's a builder, he's a construction guy, and he goes, how in the world would they put gold over cedar? How would they pull this off, he said to me. Of course, I have no clue, and if he doesn't have a clue, I don't know who has a clue. So there's some of those <laughs> details that I have no idea how that worked um, for the Lord and the temple. And so there's a lot of context as we look at chapter 7. So is there any uh, contextual or introductory thoughts you have to help us out this morning as we go to Chapter 7? Sure. Well, first, I have no idea how they put the gold over the cedar, so um, <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me that. I was going to say, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so uh, th- I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, I think as I looked at, you know, First Kings 7, and we're, and we're doing, um, you know, the first little bit of it, um, you know, and, and I think it's helpful just to remind our, our listeners and ourselves of, you know, Solomon's sort of, uh, you know, the narrative of his life and, and the arc of his life. But, you know, David's son, uh, David had wanted to build the temple. Um, you know, the Lord said, no, <clears throat> it's going to be Solomon. And, and uh, uh, David uh, gives those plans, you know, in, in the book of Chronicles, he's involved in the giving of the plans to Solomon, but doesn't build it. And then you know, and I also think as we as we dig into Solomon building his palace in chapter seven, that you know Solomon asked um, at the beginning of his career, his beginning of his uh, reign, he asks God for wisdom, and you know God said, "I'll give you whatever you want," and and he asked for wisdom, and then the Lord says, "Well, you know, you didn't ask for it, and because you didn't, you know, I'm going to also give you, you know, power and riches, and you know, a large part of." the description of Solomon's reign in first Kings all the way up to his, his death later on is, is, uh, you know, just how wonderful things were going and for, for Israel and Judah, how, how powerful Solomon had become, how rich he had become all of the different objects that he was able to build and to acquire and trade and, you know, and, and, and he is portrayed and, and is presented as perhaps the, you know, the, the strongest, wisest, most richest King there is in all the world. And, and, which is all by God's doing, God's blessing, and 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 uh, and so it's wonderful, and it's something that you know we give thanks to God for and and, and recognize. And at the same time, I think a thread runs through here, and, and we'll pro- I'm sure we'll get into this as we go along of you know of temptation both for, for Solomon and and keeping his heart centered on the Lord. So this chapter, which is filled with you know details and so forth, this is a part of that narrative of of Solomon being blessed by God and also Solomon's, you know, living out his faith as time goes on, not always in, in, in the best way. And that is very helpful how you, you look at the whole context. First of all, one of the things that you've pointed out already is that I I didn't realize this, but in First Chronicles, it does say that the Lord gave, or that David gave the plans to Solomon, is that what we understand? Is that David had the plans for this, and he gave it to Solomon in First Chronicles? That tells us this. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. chapter twenty-eight. I mean, I think uh, okay. there's a question coming up, which I mean, uh, or or maybe not. But we had talked about some questions that perhaps uh, we could talk about, and yep. and um, you know how how did how did they know exactly what a cherubim looked like or or an angel in order to build this and. You know, there's a couple of answers there. I think, you know, perhaps there are more cultural understandings just generally of, of what a cherubim was, and, and I think that that's part of the answer. But also, you know, First Chronicles 28, 19, um, 
you know, David said, all this I have written, I have in writing from the hand of the Lord upon me, and he gave me understanding and all the details of the plan. So the plan, you know, much as Moses, you know, when he built the, uh, uh, the tabernacle and received the law, came from the Lord, and also... You know, I think uh, Chronicles is letting us know, and David also, like Moses, you know, didn't make it all up. I mean, I don't think we need to think of David in a trance, but, you know, that, that the plans ultimately came from, from the Lord. So, you know, if we don't know exactly where, how they knew what a seraphim looked like or a cherubim, um, you know, I think ultimately the Lord gave him understanding, whether he used sort of ideas which were current in the in the air or among the Israelites probably but uh, ultimately from 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 God the Holy Spirit I think that is you know it's funny because one of the one of our listeners sent an email and said so was it kind of like a big lego set that the lord gave to david to give to solomon and i was like well right. i don't know if it's quite that but definitely there were some kind of plans. They knew what to do, and the Lord obviously held them, helped them along the ways. And I like the idea because right. Legos. I love Legos as a kid. I love Legos uh, uh, for my <laughs> own son. So I, I appreciated the question. Um, any last yeah. thoughts before we dig into the text? No, I think that's good. I think we're good. Okay. Um, you know, chapter six was the building of the temple, um, and uh, now uh, the building of uh, Solomon's house. So we go from a house for the Lord, for the Ark of the Covenant, and then a house for, for Solomon himself. So uh, uh, a shift, although, of course, they go together, but that's really the shift that we're going from chapter 6 to 7. Wonderful. So a reminder, the temple has been built. It took seven years to build the temple. Now we hear about his palace. And it can be very confusing. So I have a few um, um, a few opportunities online for people to look up to get a visual. I'm a visual person. So as we dig through the text today, I'll, I'll point to some websites that I found that shows the visual of what we're going to describe today. But let's dig in. The gifts are ready. And we are reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. And we're just going to start with verse 1. Solomon was building his own house 13 years, and he finished his entire house. So I was thinking about this recently, that if a church has a building project, that if you were to say, we're going to start it now um, in the month of April into May, if that building or that church is not done by Christmas or um, by definitely within a year, we get pretty anxious um, so 13 years is a long time. The temple was seven years. Any reflections on this first verse and, uh, and God's people? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the time element is very, very interesting, isn't it? Both, as, as you were saying, I mean, right, if we have a building project and it stretches over time or, you know, we're expecting it to be done six to nine months and here it's a year or, you know, 15 months or something, we do start to get nervous in here. Solomon, uh, building, um, you know, 13 years, he built his house. It took him, and and it is interesting, the the contrast. Uh, there's no judgment passed in the Scripture itself, but there certainly is an interesting contrast. At the end of chapter 6, um, he was seven years in building, building it, meaning uh, the temple, um, and then, uh, but 13 years for his own house. So, again, no right or wrong in that, but... Um, you know, it is interesting that, that Solomon was very, you know, was a, a very wealthy man and, uh, and and spent a lot of time and energy uh, building his own house. So, 
you know, it's also it's interesting because we get uh, in chap in verse two we get the house of the forest of Lebanon. In verse six we get the hall of pillars. Verse seven the hall of throne, um, and then his house. And you know, it's it's unclear at least to me, and and, and perhaps you have more on this. You know, these buildings, uh, his own house, presumably maybe a, a an individual building of its own, or it might mean his own house, meaning comprising these houses, you know, the house right. of the forest of Lebanon and the hollow pillars and so forth. And all of this is meant to be uh, 13 years building all this, that being his house. On the other hand, you know, I don't know, perhaps I'm, I'm uh, over uh, thinking it, but perhaps there was another house um, that's just not detailed. Although I think probably he means his, this whole thing was says his palace, um, you know, grounds, and here are all the buildings. Right. Right. Yeah. And, th and that's really not clear. We had Dr. Walter Meyer on for the first, uh, for the first study that we had on first Kings. And one of the things he says in his, uh, and his commentary is basically, we don't fully know. We know how it's separated. We right. don't know if that's fully his house. Uh, there's some unique situations that, that are presented. But at the end of the day, one of the beauties of this, and we have to keep this in mind, that this is there's a distinction. You have the temple, which is a certain size, and what we're going to read today is bigger <laughs> than the temple yeah. itself. And so I just I want to hold on to that a little bit, Pastor. I want to dig into that a little bit later. But just keep it in mind, once again, he's a king. And, and when you have a kingdom, there's a lot of responsibilities. And I think we get an understanding and relate that to today's world on how there's a distinction of what a courthouse looks like and then also when... Um, uh, when you have a church that is built. And so I, I just want to keep that in mind as we dig through the sure. next level. Uh, yeah, so and let's I think get that's to, a, a nice, dis, a nice distinction. I'm sorry, a nice distinction to make, right? I mean, I think that's interesting. That's a good way to put it. Church, you know, the temple church. And then here, well, you know, it's Solomon's house, but it's not like, and I think that's good to say a courthouse. It's not like, you know, all of this was Solomon, you know, here's my living room, you know, here's my TV room. I mean, this was uh, not just his personal property, but this was, you know, the political machinery. So I think that's a nice uh, point yeah. to make. Yeah, he didn't have a, a a man cave that he had to build there. You know, it wasn't draped around with Baltimore Ravens and Minnesota Vikings right, stuff. Right. Yeah, it's a little yeah, different. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. so let's continue on. The first that is mentioned is the house of the forest of Lebanon. And we'll dig into this. Verses 2 through 5. He built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits and its breadth 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. And it was built on four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams on the pillars. It was covered with cedar above the chambers that were on 45 pillars, 15 in each row. There were window frames in three rows and window opposite window in three tiers. All the doorways and windows had square frames and window was opposite window in three tiers. Now, for basically all of us who are not architects, this can be quite confusing what we're looking at. Um, any insights on the measurements or what you found in these verses? Right. Well, uh, again, yeah, the, uh, the visualizing of it is, is, is quite difficult for me. But um, one, <laughs> um, the, 
the measurements are, are easier if we translate them from qubits. So the house of the forest of Lebanon would be, from what I can t- tell what I looked up, 150 feet long, uh, 75 feet wide, uh, and 45 feet high. Um, mm-hmm. Now, just for comparison's sake, the temple uh, was was only 90 feet long, uh, 30 feet wide, so quite narrower than than this, um, but and was also uh, 45 foot high. So, you know, that just kind of gives you an idea. Um, you know, uh, the um, I don't know what square feet that makes it. I'm not a I'm not a um, I, I could do <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> right a hundred. I mean, the temple is easy. Ninety times thirty is twenty seven hundred square feet. So uh, ah. that's the the basic temple building. So as you can see, I mean, this is you know quite easily two through almost three times uh, you know as as large uh, a, a building, which again is interesting. Um, just uh, on a point of comparison and. There's no no wrong or right in it. It's just it's a much larger building. And as we look at the I look at the layout, one of one of the situations that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of days is this the uh, cedar, the smell of cedar. Even Dr. Meyer talks about how there's so much cedar on this that it not only would have been beautiful as far as a layout, but the smell would have been beautiful. Have you have you any well, experience with that smelling cedar? I don't know. I don't even know. You have any thoughts? Yeah, well, no, that's that's a great point to make. I mean, if we're trying to uh, to imagine the experience, I mean, the dimensions are one thing, and, and it's hard, perhaps, you know, to visualize um, the building from the description. At least it is for me. I mean, but you know, the the smell that's just that's that's nothing I would have actually thought of, and um, that's a great point to make. You know, wood uh, cedar is very fragrant, so you know, would have made quite an impression. I, I'm sure that they were used to cedar. I mean, I, uh, the cedars of Lebanon are, were world famous, but for us, you know, going into the building, you know, I think that would probably would have been one of our first impressions is just how fragrant you know, the wood is. And that in itself, um, you know, as Solomon is building this uh, to the glory of God and for the people of God, for the nation of Israel, as well as for himself, you know, to use cedars of cedar of leather, there's other ways to build it. I'm sure that would have been less expensive, less impressive, and and you know the the fragrance of it's something that we don't often think about, and and I think that that helps us to kind of get the sensory experience of actually being in this building. I think that's a that's a very nice point for our imagination, our our visualization, as it were. Now, for anybody who knows anybody who is Finnish. Okay, so so in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we had the uh, Finnish uh, Lutheran Church join our ranks. I guess who joined us in the fifties, I believe, um, and maybe the sixties. I'm not 100 percent sure. But you have in Minnesota specifically, you have a number of traditionally Finnish um, areas and Finnish congregations from Finland. And um, one of the beauties of this is that if you visit a Finn, typically they have what they will they will say is a sauna. You know, you know what I'm talking about, Pastor? Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, so, I pronounce it sauna, but I know. Right. <laughs> but if you talk right. to a Finn, it's sauna. But anyways, yeah. uh, a sauna is made out of cedar. Typically, it says Western red, sound, uh, red cedar. 
Okay, that's an important distinction that they'll say Western Red Cedar is the preferred um, um, sauna that you will have. And I, I can tell by experience, I've been in a number of old Finn churches that use cedar for the interior that you can smell. I mean, they live it out left and right. right. They're, they're Finnish in, what do you call it? I'm a Finian. I don't know what they are. They're Finnish. Um, and so that kind of gets the understanding, too, that, that that there's a certain smell to this. If you go to a sauna, this is probably the wood that you smelt when you went in. And also, this brings us back to Lebanon, where uh, he made that agreement with Hiram that we will give you this and you will give us this wood. And so they, you know, and they said, no one cuts timber like the Sidonians. And so there's a distinction of this, too, that this was all the work and the nations and everyone was getting involved, not only in the temple, but also in Fer uh, Solomon's house. So any any right. last reflections before we go on to our break? In well, uh, you know, there's a couple of other um, verses, which, uh, you know, in First Kings, I think it's chapter 10, and even in Isaiah, which seem to indicate that this building was perhaps some kind of armory, or, or at least part of it, was used as a storehouse. I mean, First Kings 10 is a list of uh, gold shields, and um, and it says um, 300 shields of beaten gold. Uh, the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. And then in Isaiah 22, verse 8, uh, it says, the Lord is speaking, you look to the weapons of the house of the forest. So, you know, shields, weapons, so... Yeah, it's the House of Solomon, but as you were saying before, it's also a, a government building. And this building, at least part of it, seemed to operate at least uh, somewhat as some sort of armory or storehouse for weapons or shields. The shields were beaten gold. They may have been more ceremonial than anything else. I don't think functional shields in battle would have been covered with gold. But, uh, you know, it, it, it has some sort of function like that. So that's also, you know, interesting. But And again... We don't know everything. You know, we get these little hints. And so uh, just something to some more data to consider. And I, one thing I encourage our listeners to do is if you are more of a visual person is to go to Google um, and look up just First Kings chapter seven, type in palace, First uh, Kings chapter seven, uh, the plans of the palace. There's a website that I have, Truth's Niche, Truth, T-R-U-T-H, S-I-S-N-I-T-H dot com. And when you when you type that in, uh, Google First King 7, um, the palace, visual, so forth, it has a very good layout of the temple. It shows where Solomon's house what might have been, because even that, we don't know for, for sure what it would be. Uh, the court and this, feet, this uh, house of the forest of Lebanon. And like you said, this was probably a storage area. We don't know fully. And I want to take a step back, too, to make sure everyone knows that this might seem like we're going way too slow. Um, but it is something for us to when you go to, like, the state capitol or the White House, it's good for us to know what everything was there for. Uh, it's good for us to understand how it is in relationship of other buildings, because the buildings have a story. And these all have a story that, as Pastor said so well, connects us to First Kings connects us to Isaiah and shows us the whole narrative. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 7 with Pastor Gregory Alms, and we'll be right back.
On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 7 with Pastor Gregory Alms. And as we look at our text so far, we are kind of, what you call it, it's, it's kind of like the two pastors trying to figure out how to construct something. This might not be the best plan in the world, but we are definitely <laughs> plowing through and we're seeing uh, the riches of God's grace. And I think it's important for us to be able, like we've been doing, going slower through it to understand even further what our Lord is doing. But I want to get to our questions, Pastor, um, that we receive from a listener. A reminder to our listeners that you can send us uh, any questions you may have at kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, the question was, and this goes back to chapter 6, um, you get this vision of cherubim. You know, you have cherubim from from a Genesis where you no know, cherubim kind of protected the garden garden of Eden and you have other references and then they seem to know what a cherubim looks like. Did you get, did you find anything on that pastor? How do they know what a cherubim looked like when they put it into the temple? Well, um, I think we were discussing earlier um, first Chronicles 28 in which uh, David is passing on the plans of the uh, temple for uh, to Solomon. And, and he mentions there that, um, you know, the Lord ultimately gave him the word uh, for those plans. Um, and so, you know, I think ultimately uh, the the plans uh, for the temple and, and including the cherubim and cherubim are come from the Lord himself. I think, you know, if you remember the Ark of the Covenant, uh, Moses received um, direction from the Lord about putting on the cover of the Ark. There were... Um, uh, cherubim there on that ark, um, mm-hmm, and so right. and those they have wings. So, you know, I think uh, I think there was some some general idea about what they were. Uh, in addition to the fact that that the Lord had, you know, given this direction already before to, you know, to Moses uh, in the giving of the law, plus guiding David. Um, so I think. Between that and, you know, I, I, you know, ultimately, I think we would have to say the Lord showed them what it looked like, you know, mm-hmm. through his, his inspiration. I think, you know, um, that, that I think also there may have been a, just a general cultural understanding, you know, passed on perhaps from that original giving of Moses to the law within the Israelites and, you know, an idea of what it looked like. And, and from that and from God's spirit, you know, David was able to say, you know, it's going to look like this, right? And it's something ultimately that, you know, I think it's one of those things which we don't know ultimately know exactly, but and we don't know what they look like exactly, but I, I think that's, we can say that at least. 
Well, and, and a reminder to our listeners, in our Lutheran Study Bible, as a visual person, you can look up what the temple looked like in general, as best that as best that we can do in the Lutheran Study Bible on page 541, where it gives us as close as we can an understanding of how big, uh, what was in the most holy place, what was in the holy place, what was in the portico, and all of that on page 541. And obviously, you can look this up online as well. The, this, the next question that he has, and I think this is important for us who are visual learners, is, is there a modern building that we can uh, compare the temple to? And now I'm thinking, too, is there a modern building we can compare uh, his house to? So any thoughts on that? I'll try to dig in here a little bit as, as you talk. Sure. Well, just in terms of square footage, I mean, I think we mentioned earlier that um, the temple was 2,700 square feet. It was 90 by 30. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just by comparison, um, the house I'm in right now, I'm at home, uh, that we live in is, uh, you know, I don't remember exactly now that I was going to make this comparison, but it's about 2,300 square feet. (laughs) So, you know, my house, you know, is almost as, you know, almost as big as the temple. And then I looked up the White House, you know, and it is 55,000 square feet. So, Mm. You know, if those numbers are accurate, which, you know, I think the temple number is certainly accurate, um, you know, the temple was not a huge building. Now, um, uh, the house that um, the house of the forest of Lebanon uh, was a hun- was 150 uh, by um, 75 uh, feet. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is 11,000 square feet. So even right. that building, as large as it uh, isn't, you know, it's, it's about, a, about a fourth of the size of the White House. So, you know, the buildings, I think we might be underwhelmed, you know, as far as their size. I mean, this is not the Superdome or, you know, um, some huge building. I think in ancient, in the ancient world, uh, they were large and they were impressive. And, Solomon is presented in First Kings as, you know, he the the richest, most powerful king, and I think all of the gold and and the measurements of the buildings and so forth are intended to to show us that he was in fact blessed by God, wealthy, powerful, and that his surroundings and the buildings that he built uh, displayed that. So, for us, then the, the the dimensions aren't so impressive, but I think in the ancient world they would have been. It would have been, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So now that we've tried to uh, become architects and trying to determine those kind of things, how will we get back to <laughs> the text? This is why I became a this is why I became a pastor because I, exactly. I had no facility in uh, architecture. Right, exactly. So let's dig into verse six. Verse six, and he made the hall of pillars. Its length was fifty cubits, and its breadth thirty cubits. There was a porch in front with pillars and a canopy in front of them. Now, nothing very profound on this. Did you find anything on this verse? No, I think it's basically a portico or, as it says, a porch, um, Mm -hmm. a hall of pillars. I mean, I'm looking at a diagram. Um, You know, it basically has it, you know, in front. I mean, uh, the temple also had a... um, you know, had a had a gateway sort of area to go in, although I think this is a more formal building. And, and I don't have any great insights into it. I think uh, perhaps it was 
um, you know, uh, this study Bible says, you know, characteristic feature was its colonnaded pillars. So perhaps it was, um, you know, impressive to walk through it as you're entering into the house, the forest with, you know, the pillars, I think, as it's called the hall of pillars, you know, I think mm. it's perhaps ceremonial or, or intended to, to be a large open space. Now I'm just kind of making that up, but there doesn't seem yep. to be any other furniture. So sort of a walkway and entryway, something like that. And that's a good point as well. If you read chapter 7, what is in his palace is not described in detail about all the furnishings. It doesn't talk about that whatsoever. Now, in chapter 6, it talks about everything and even continues on here in chapter 7. But this clearly that there's a distinction of what is inside the temple points us to a message. Just like in church, if you look around your congregation, it points us back to Christ. But obviously, this did not have that same component. This was simply a building that was used for important purposes, but it did not have like a main point or a furnishings that point to a main message. That was highlighted, too, that I read as well. So let's move on to verse 7, kind of keep moving forward. Verse 7. And he made the hall of the throne where he was to pronounce judgment. Even the hall of judgment, it was finished with cedar from floor to rafters. Once again, um, it could be used as a sauna for the Finns um, <laughs> in this building, but but it had another purpose. What did you read on the house of judgment? Yeah, so as we've been making, as you have made this analogy between, you know, chapter 6, the temple church, and, and as you were saying, great uh, detail there, and, um, you know, all of the furniture having a purpose, a sacred purpose, and, and dedicated and set apart to the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And this is a a political room, right? I mean, uh, a room of the throne, right? Judgment, where he would pronounce judgment. This was his role as as king, as, as head of state under God in in the nation of Israel. And so this was his throne room. Now, in another part of uh, Kings, First Kings, in uh, in chapter ten, he does. Uh, they're kind of listing, you know, Solomon's wealth, and it does have a description of the throne, which is quite impressive. I mean, this is First Kings ten, uh, beginning at what uh, verse eighteen, um, mm-hmm. which is right in seventeen. He says the king put them in the house of the force of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. The throne had six steps, and at the back of the throne was a calf's head. On each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. Twelve lions stood there, one on each end of a step of the six steps. The like of it was never made in any kingdom. And it goes on. I don't mean to steal whoever's thunder is going to do first King 10, but, <laughs> yes, um, <you're> right. <laughs> uh, but the throne, you know, quite impressive. So, and this is the throne room and this is where he would sit, um, you know, and people would come in and that throne, you know, with all of that impressive uh, piece of furniture with all of that uh, ivory and lions and gold and so forth and ivory, you know, is, you know, that does have a message, right? And it's a political right. message that, that, you know, Here's the ruler of state, right? I mean, this is the king. And uh, so here he did his judgments. And um, so, again, once we put the throne in that room, you know, it does become quite impressive. Now, this is this is important. I was thinking about this as you were speaking. For example, for us here in Minnesota, we'll go to St. Paul to the Capitol. 
Usually we have done this traditionally in sixth grade. And as you walk through the Capitol, you'll see the place where the, the House meets, where the Senate meets, uh, where the Supreme Court meets. And it's a very impressive structure, as I'm assuming it is um, around where you are in North Carolina and Maryland and so forth. And one of the things that really strikes me is it's the same feeling that we hope people have when they come to church. They know when they walk through those doors that they are doing something unique at church. You know, they're receiving the gifts of Christ, that they're receiving forgiveness, that this is a holy place set aside, um, an inner sanctuary where the where the where the, the these gifts of Christ are given and when we receive and so forth. And and you get that same feeling when you go to the Capitol, um, that you you'll say, Wow, this is where the House meets and this is where the Supreme Court meets. And if you go into those play those places, that you know that there's something important going on. And I think it, that really helps in chapter 10 to unveil and kind of peel back our understanding of that they just didn't throw this together. It took 13 years, for Pete's sake. Um, but at the same time, that there was just, there was important things happening there and people should know it when they enter. Any thoughts on, on that comparison? Yeah, that's very good. I mean, and, you know, to make the comparison with Capitol uh, today, it was because that's, you know, that's the, you know that's the similarity. That's where you know that that's something that we can that we can understand. It's the the hall of political power and the fact that whether you go to a state capital or the U.S. capital or wherever you go, you know these uh, the architecture and the and the statuary and the way things are laid out are are intended to you know to give a message that this is where political power. And if we think about it in a theological way. You know, ultimately, uh, you know, it's two different kingdoms, but God is ultimately behind those mm-hmm. um, ministers of uh, government, Solomon. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with God, uh, you know, in, uh, in that way. So, um, yes, and, and so the architecture, you know, does have a message that um, this is the place of, you know, power and secular civil uh, civil power and and, and these things do have a message. And so, you know, and, and if we wanted again, and you made a great point about church, that, you know, the way we decorate our buildings, the way we build them, uh, what we put in them, you know, is supposed to give a message. Doesn't doesn't mean we spend a trillion dollars, but, I mean, that we, you know, we, even if it's small, humble things, that we they arrange them in a way and that we treat them with respect because, this place is a place where God comes to us in his word and in his sacrament and, and, and he comes to us here. And so we kind of dress this place up to remind ourselves of what's happening here. So let's move to verse eight, kind of a unique move here in verse eight, his own house where he was to dwell in the other court back of the hall was, was of like workmanship. Solomon also had a house like his hall for Pharaoh's daughter whom he had taken in marriage. Now, in previous chapters, we hear of, uh, of Solomon taking Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife, and it's kind of seen more as a political move. Um, and, and so they're married, and obviously Solomon had other wives throughout his time, which we'll get to later. Um, but here, he gives her a separate house. What is this, like the mother-in-law suite that we will sometimes see in people's <laughs> homes? Or how would, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think if we're we're thinking about First Kings as a story that goes, you know, it starts, you know, the death of King David and Solomon uh, coming in and and building the temple and so forth. I think this is a little um, foreshadowing. In other words, 
as the life of Solomon continues to play out, you know, he's going to meet the Queen of Sheba, uh, chapter um, 10, 11, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, the end of his life, we get to hear that, you know, he had many foreign wives, I mean, 700 wives, 300 concubines, and, you know, this, the text, the scripture says, these wives turned away his heart um, from the Lord, he was not completely faithful, and and turned to other gods, and in fact, you know, uh, built um, and uh, you know built buildings. So, you know, he went after other gods and built a high place for Moloch and uh, these other gods, and so uh, really kind of slid into um, false belief. Um, and 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 you know, because he, I mean, you know, the mechanism in which the temptation you know came through these. Uh, foreign women and, and the foreign queens, and so I think, I mean, it's obviously a statement of fact that he built this this hall for Pharaoh's daughter. But I think as we're reading the story, it's sort of like, hmm, that's interesting. He's building a building a house for this for this foreign queen, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. and and nothing right. comes of it right here in chapter seven. But by the time we get to chapter ten and eleven, you know, there's a full blown, you know, chasing after foreign gods. So. That's I think true. it's just interesting in that way. And we we received a little bit of these thoughts when we were looking at chapter four, I believe, where it mentioned he had chariots. And there was a question mark about, was this the beginning of him kind of, you know, buying a little more pomp and circumstance? Because there were warnings against having chariots because it would make it more of a... Um, how you call it, a promotion of oneself. That was a discussion right. that we had in chapter four. And then you have chapter five, obviously, into chapter six. And there's these little parts that we have to be careful. We don't want to go too far into trying to figure out Solomon's heart because, you know, you can't figure out my heart. Sure. I can't figure sure. out your heart. But we do we do realize that, one, this is kind of a sign of grace that here's a foreigner that he's building a house for. So he obviously shows yeah, that he yeah. didn't put her in the shack, you know, um, down the way, um, but also kind of, a, you know, yeah, I have her. She, that's a political marriage. We put her over there, which by itself would test anyone's faith, my own faith right. as well, if we had that kind of mentality. So it's, right, it's an interesting right. dynamic that's hard to understand in our culture today. Any last thoughts on it? Sure. No, I think you're right. I mean, you get, it's just a little piece of data and, and you know, it can connect to other things. And by itself, then, again, nothing wrong with it. And, and you're right, we don't want to judge his heart at this point and um yeah but it's you know it, it it does connect with some other things that's right let's keep going we'll go verses nine through well let's go nine through eleven just to make sure we're hitting all the hitting all the check marks here all were made of costly stones cut according to measure sawed with saws back and front even from the foundation to the coping and from the outside to the gray court the foundation was of costly stones, huge stones, cost of, of eight and ten cubits. And above were costly stones cut according to measurement and cedar. So we'll stop there before we get to verse 12. Now, this seems a little bit, I would say, of a um, very generic almost like a duh moment like okay duh they were made of stones and they cut them okay thank you for that um <laughs> but <laughs> but there is an emphasis throughout the bible and clearly also in revelation when it talks about heaven of costly stones here they don't tell us what they are uh, but we have gold in the temple 
And then we have uh, gold later on, like you mentioned. And here it just says costly stones. Any reflections on the use of costly stones throughout the Bible um, and describing God and his presence and so forth? Right. Well, I think um, costly stones are a marker of, you know, whether it's, you know, in the book of Revelation, you know, the city of Jerusalem and the, and, and, and the building and the foundation that this marks this place as divine and holy in the presence of God. Um, and I think, you know, I think you could, we could, um, you know, uh, find other examples of that as well. And here I think uh, Solomon, you know, this is the nation of Israel, God's people, the chosen people, Jerusalem. This is where the temple is. This is uh, presumably right next to the temple or close to the temple. And this is Solomon, David's son, the chosen one. And, you know, this marks this place, his palace, uh, you know, as as uh, important, you know, not just as a sign of his wealth, but of the fact that, you know, he's he is the king, he's the uh, David's son, a precursor of the Messiah, and so on. I think foundations also, you know, in Scripture um, are also very important. Book of Revelation, you know, the church is one foundation. In other words, what is what are the things built on? What is our ultimate strength? And these costly stones, you know, and just the uh, it takes a little time here, and there's a couple of verses to to detail how the foundation was built. You know, I mean, you know, I could, you know, I have no idea how the foundation of my house is built or what the foundation of the church is. But here, some time is taken, and it it reminds us of those other scriptures where, you know, the foundation. What is, you know. Uh, our house is built on the rock, and uh, you know the the foundation of uh, of the church and uh, our faith and so forth. As I said, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the right. cornerstone. I mean, this was a reading from Sunday for those in the three year lectionary. Um, right. And yeah, and that's wonderful. I love the hymn. You know, uh, uh, Christ is our cornerstone. On Him alone we yeah. build. And I think that's, a, that's right. a good connection that we're able to see throughout the temple building, throughout even the building of his home as well. So any other reflections on those verses before we get to the last verse? Well, just another, again, this is just a little speculative, but again, uh, as you are going to go through the rest of these chapters, I mean, there's an emphasis here on the costly stones and uh, these very precious stones. And, you know, there's going to be an outlining of Solomon's wealth. And, and there's like a two-edged sword here that uh, Solomon's wealth is something that, that God blesses him with and adorns him with, and it's a good gift of God. And But it kind of plays a little bit, you start to wonder a little bit when he, um, at the end where he goes off with the wives, if, you know, if all of this wealth had kind of turned his head a little bit and whether, and again, speculation, so uh, not a word from the Lord, but uh, Solomon uh, perhaps lost uh you know the true foundation, or at least a little bit, and and uh, the, the the recounting of his wealth, just uh, you know this worldliness that he seems to be surrounding himself with, uh, can be a temptation. It's a blessing from God, but for us too. And when we're blessed, um, um, we be careful that we don't put our trust and our hope in it, um, even while we're rejoicing in the goodness of God and and using it for His for His purposes. As it says, it isn't money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's that is right. the root of all evil. Right. And it's we all. And I remember my pastor during seminary um, would say, "Just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean it's not your God." 
Yeah, and I thought right. that was a, right. a great way to talk about it. So let's do verse 12. Absolutely. We have about four minutes left, and we can wrap it and pull it all together. Verse 12. The great court had three courses of cut stone all around and a course of cedar beams. So had the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the house. Now, once again, this is a little bit confusing, but this house had a court, you know, for people to enter. You'll see this in a lot of buildings, um, kind of just a reminder that, hey, you're about to enter something, a place of more importance. Um, maybe a narthex is something we would consider in a, a current day church. Like, okay, this is a place you gather, but, you know, it's the stepping stone, if you will, to the next part. Um, it doesn't say much else besides more cedar. They like their cedar and uh, there's cut stone and so forth. But any, any thoughts on that verse? And then we'll dig into the whole, uh, the for all 12 verses and talk about that. Any thoughts? Right. Um, no, no, not any great insights. I mean, I think that uh, you said it right. I mean, a court, sort of like a narthex, an entry area. And we'll get more uh, stone and cedar beams. Again, I think these are uh, uh, valuable and uh, impressive ways to build a building, not a humble building. Cut stone is, and uh, uh, the cedar beams would have made a, uh, an impressive uh, combination, and again, uh, you know, marking this place as uh, as a place of uh, power and, and God ordained. Uh, you know, this is His people, and this is His King. One note from a listener that sent me an email was just talking about how for House of Pharaoh's daughter, this was important for him to have probably not just a little shack, but to have that on the extension um, is that Egypt was a powerful partner. And if you did not treat the house, the daughter well, well, this would have political implications for the people of Israel, which sure. is a good point. I hadn't, sure. we, I just thought of her as a foreigner, not necessarily the agreements of that. So pastor, right. as we look at these verses, this has been, you know, it's, I wouldn't say this is the most exciting 12 verses of Scripture that we've had here, but it also points us to a greater meaning, which points us to uh, the, the foundation, as you said, the foundation that is set. It's connected to the temple, which points us obviously to something greater. If you were to look at this and try to point to greater meaning, how would you do so if someone asked? Yeah, I mean, I think you you, um, you enumerated a couple of the points, and I think um, you know uh, the uh, uh, Solomon's role. I mean, just uh, uh, his role as he's just finished in in building the the temple, and his role now as as ruler, and and, and this house that he is building reminds us that that he had asked for wisdom and and had uh, been granted it, and that the Lord blessed him in addition with. Uh, power and with wealth, and this is uh, a part of that promise, and it and it fits into the into the story of how God used Solomon and um, uh, as as king and uh, son of David, and um, you know it 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 fits into the whole um, it fills in sort of Solomon. You know, if you ask Solomon, he built a temple, but he was also king. And he ruled on, on a daily basis. It was perhaps the most powerful king that Israel ever had. I mean, they split mm. after Solomon's death. And this is a sign of the pinnacle of Israel's power in, a, in an earthly way. And also that, that God had blessed him uh, in response to his prayer. And, and here we see uh, in practical ways, you know, not in generalities, but in pretty specific, you know, here's a, 
here's his palace, here's this house of the forest, here's his throne room. This is, and then uh, gives us a glimpse into sort of the daily life or the the reality of the buildings in which he walked around in. So it's pretty cool to try to visualize them and think of Solomon uh, here in in these places. Pastor Gregory Alms from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Catonsville, Maryland, strengthening us by God's word this morning. Um, the Pastor Pastor Alms, thank you for being our guest. Well, a pleasure to be here. Thank you. God's blessings on your day. Saints of our Lord, as we look at the building of Solomon's palace, we're reminded that there is a greater meaning. He has just built the temple. It is a reminder for us that the temple is our Lord Jesus. The, the intricate details that go into all this building reminds us that we are built on the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our chief cornerstone, and we stand upon him. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.